for November 23rd, 2020. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 647. Look at the board. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The Overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet, never happier than when we are hanging out together and uh, answering one another's questions. More excellent Solfege content coming at you <laughs> this week. All right. We're going to, we're going to talk about other, uh, other systems. Uh, we're going to talk. No, just kidding. We're not going to do that. <laughs> I'm going to learn how to play chess. Hey, it's, uh, it's your, your, uh, smart, funny friend from the internet, Matt Rather. Well, actually, you be the judge of that, smart or funny. But I can tell you that I am joined by two smart, funny gentlemen in the, in the form of Mr. Peter Fenzel. Hello, Pete. Hey, Matt. How are you? I'm, I'm doing very well. <laughs> and, uh, and Mr. Mark Lee. Hey, Mark. Do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do. Had to get that in there because I missed the extended discussion on Solfege last weekend. Yeah, I know I'm that's back, baby. I'm that's back. very good. Well, Mark, would you agree that if you know the notes to sing, you can sing most anything? I, I mean, not really, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's it is uh, necessary, but not sufficient. Fair enough. That's that's a good way to put it. Um, so, all right, picking up a little bit from where our conversation was last week, uh, Pete, I have a question. Does your life have a purpose? No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> Pete, um, how do I win a king plus rook versus king endgame? <laughs> the only way flip to win the is table. To play. <laughs> no. That's what I learned from last weekend, right? You all get right. to flip the table. That is the optimal strategy. Call right. back, call back. All it's it's going to be an all callback show. This podcast is ruined. Um, let's uh, yeah, no, uh, Pete. I asked you a little bit. I asked you a little bit about about chess last week, and uh, you know, I was actually I was actually curious, and just to sort of set the table, I I talked about um, chess as being something that I've I've uh, sort of been engaging with a little bit, um, or at least chess related movies, which I suppose are not really about chess. They're about, you know, the triumph of the human spirit. Uh, the, the, but, uh, I watched the Queen's Gambit on Netflix, made me rewatch Searching for Bobby Fisher, which is such a great film. And, uh, then I, I watched a, uh, more recent film, uh, The Queen of Katwe by, uh, a film directed by Mira Nair, which is about the, a, um, Ugandan, uh, uh, chess prodigy, a uh, young woman who, who, uh, turns out to be very good, very good at chess and kind of how her life develops a little bit, how her childhood, I suppose, develops. And, um, the, uh, I also like searching for Bobby Fisher based on the true story of a person and unlike the Queen's Gambit. And I've been watching these chess things and people seem to like, pe- people seem to be oddly into chess. Oh, yeah. Yeah. People like, uh, it's a whole, it's a whole Just thing. having a moment right now. It, wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's how do I get in on this, Pete? How do I get in on this moment? Also, how do I uh, how do I win a, a king plus rook versus king endgame? <laughs> so you're you're of course making fun of me because at the end of our last podcast, I suggested that I would teach you how to play chess, and then I joked around about upsetting the board and whatnot. <laughs> and um, the uh, but but afterwards, we talked a little bit, and I said, okay, well, if there is one thing that I could teach you that would make you better at chess, it would be how to win a king and rook versus king endgame. And what that really means, of course, and I'm talking here about people who are totally unfamiliar with chess, is 
chess has a kind of big design flaw, <laughs> which, which relative to modern games, which is that it has no built-in way to end, right? There is no like, oh, you hit your last out. As long as you keep throwing the ball in baseball, like eventually, unless you, I guess you could keep running up runs forever. So that's also a design flaw. But generally speaking, the game will eventually be over. And in chess, uh, you have to, as I said, you can you can win if the other person disrupts the board or upsets the pieces or, or commits some sort of heinous, grievous misconduct foul uh, or like disconnects from the Internet, runs out of time, resigns. But the actual act of checkmating is not really a, a, a simple, easy thing for very, very new players to immediately understand. And it really should be the concept you understand before you sit down for a game of chess. Well, let me rephrase. If you want to actually get better at chess, you should understand what checkmate is and how it works because it is necessary in order to end the game. (laughs) And if you can't do it, then you will get in situations where you are winning and you can't end the game. And so the simplest way, and I think the most commonly used way to become familiar with the concept of checkmate is to practice checkmate with one king and a rook against another king. Because what it forces you to do is push the other player's king into a situation where you can give them no legal moves and apply that check, and that's what kills them, right? The notion of shamat, the king is dead, right, checkmate in chess, is that you simultaneously move a piece such that on your next turn, you could take the king and then also deprive the opponent of any response that could prevent that from happening. And at that point, the game is over, right? You don't actually take the king for the most part. You you move into a situation where the king is about to be taken and then there's no suitable response to it. And the way that you do this, um, and I, and I, and I, I want to talk about why chess is having a moment, and this is not it, by the way. <laughs> the thing that I'm telling you now is not why chess is having a moment right now. But the way that you achieve a king and rook checkmate is you achieve something called the opposition, which is it's a it's a term that is you know theoretical. You don't it's nowhere on the board. You don't read it in the rules, but it's the idea that if you have two kings on the board and they have one square between them, because a king can't move right next to another king. Because Wait, then the I've, other king I've been uh, Pete. I've been watching the crown. So the the opposition is the the party that is not in government, right? In in parliament. The, the opposition is the American gladiators and the contenders <laughs> are the people who are going against the American oh, gladiators. Got it. Okay. <laughs> the opposition is uh uh I would say what Peter in the Great British Bake Off? No. Uh, <laughs> and then and he's, he's the antagonist or is he the protagonist? Who knows? But the the opposition in chess is this notion that because you can have two kings on the board and they can't move right next to each other, because as soon as you move next to one king, the other king would be able to take it. And you're not allowed to do moves like that, uh, which is, again, a weird thing about how chess games end. Um, you you can get a max, a minimum of one square between the two of you. And the notion is that if you have one square between the two kings and they are in a vertical or horizontal line from each other, it does. There are some rules that also, you know, make it work diagonally. But let's just think about a king that is kind of above an empty square that is above a king. Uh, whichever player whose move it is has to move out of that face off. Right. So that's called. And the other player is said to have the opposition. So if you have two kings that are facing off against each other and it's not your move, you have the opposition. Um, and, and this and this forces uh, the other player to to move. 
Um, and so uh, what you want to do is establish the opposition. I hope that I have it right. I might have it backwards. Oh, this is so terrible. See, I'm not a very good chess player. I just know enough to be dangerous. I like chess history, too, more than I like playing actual chess. But, yeah, the, the idea being is you, you achieve the opposition by forcing the other king to move out of um, to move out of alignment with you. And what you want to do with the king and the rook is you want to set up a situation where you force uh, the king to move where you force the king to be right in front of uh, your king, and then you move your rook so that's on the horizontal file, right? So this horizontal row or the vertical file that is sort of um, parallel to the three squares in front of your king. It's so funny to try to describe this in an audio podcast, right? There are three squares in front of your king, between your king and their king. Move the rook uh, so that it is parallel to that, but hitting their king, and their king will be forced to step back, Right? Um, and so you want to be achieving the situations where you face off against their king and then you force their king to step back and then you face off against their king again and then you force their king to step back. Um, and this only really works if you can maintain the situation of the opposition. Um, although I guess in this one, you kind of want them to move into opposition with you and then you push them back. But, uh, but it's basically understanding how it works, understanding how you force one king to face off against the other. Um, so yeah, sorry. You win king rook versus king end games by forcing the other player to take the opposition and then checking them with your rook, which forces them to step back until they get to the edge of the board. And then if you do that at the edge of the board, they have nowhere to step back to. It's checkmate. You win king and pawn versus king end games by achieving the opposition, forcing the other king to move, and then um, basically cutting them off from getting to your pawns. But, but you want to practice with kings on an empty board a little bit and just sort of figure out how they work. This is not why chess is popular, right? This is a problem uh, because in any sort of game, there should be a natural conclusion. Even if you have no idea how to play League of Legends, for example, or a MOBA, right? Eventually, your minions are going to walk to the other side of the board and kill the enemy nexus. I think that it is good for games to have mechanics like this that prevent them from going on forever. And there are big ones and there are small ones, ones that sort of dictate that the game will end eventually, even if the players don't know how to end it, such as a clock, Right. Or like uh, some sort of mounting issue like Tetris. Right. If you don't know how to play Tetris, it will do you the favor of concluding the game for you. <laughs> right. Like like eventually the Tetris board will fill up with blocks and you will lose. Right. Um, and if two people are playing Tetris against each other and neither one of them knows how to play Tetris, there is a method for deciding the game. And it is whichever person loses first loses. Right. Um, chess doesn't have anything like that. And that's one of the big problems with with being a new person playing chess. And so I would suggest if you are just starting out playing chess that you learn king rook versus king endgame. Most important, you can also do it with a queen. Um, and then if you really want to get good, you learn you also learn the learn a two rooks endgame. That's pretty much it's sort of a very simple thing. You just sort of like go in parallel and you march down the the board with it. And then see if you can learn a king and pawn versus king endgame, which is tough. But if you can learn that, uh, and again, I'm talking about super basic beginning play. If you can learn that, then all you have to do to win a lot of games is not hang any of your pieces. <laughs> Which by hanging a piece means moving a piece to a place where your opponent can capture it and it's not defended. If all you know how to do is win some simple end games and then just don't just give away stuff, you will win a lot of chess games. This is easier said than done. Uh, and the reason it's easier said than done carries us back to why chess is having a moment, I think, or why, if you find yourself within chess's moment, you also find yourself losing at chess a lot. 
uh, because I'm certainly playing some of the worst chess of my life right now because, oh, man, chess is having a moment. I should play a bunch of chess. Great. I used to play it in college a bunch. I went to the college chess club and I played most of the people there. And, you know, it wasn't for me to really play the tournament chess, but I felt like I was decent. Right. I, I had like a 1500 rating on like Yahoo chess, which is, you know, not what a 1500 rating is today. Right. I, much worse. uh uh, or 1500 is much better today than I'm sure it was in like 2002 or uh, 2001. But at any rate, um, online, at any rate, uh, the issue with chess is that, of course, it takes your undivided attention, right? And my chess gets much worse when I get tired. Playing chess on a phone, while very easy to do with the chess.com app or the Lie Chess app, L-I-C-H-E-S-S, those are the two chess apps you can get for free. They are both very popular. You can get any kind of game of chess you want, pretty much, other than like Bug House or something crazy. Uh, you know, pretty fast, all over the world, right? It does automatic matchmaking with people who are roughly your skill. It sort of measures your skill based on how much you win or lose. Uh, but chess is all about paying attention to the details. You look at the board and you are you want to ascertain what is currently happening. And the reason I think that chess is so great is that each piece tells an intuitive story about what it is that it should be doing, right, or can do or might do. And so unlike, say, Go, uh, where the story where, yeah, sure, the shapes and the configurations of the stones can end up telling pretty compelling stories in the long run, when you're just starting to play Go, all the pieces do exactly the same thing, which is you put them on the board and you're not sure exactly what works and eventually you win or lose. Go, again, has built-in <laughs> defeat mechanisms in it. Um, whereas with chess, you're like, oh, it's the horse. It does this, right? Oh, it's the castle. It does this. And and these ideas make analyzing chess positions have a certain poetry to it. Um, and, and there's a lot of patterns and, and sort of big and small patterns, which you can find in a lot of games, but exist in chess on a through line between the super-duper-duper basic stuff and the very, very, very complex stuff. Um, and so you just need, you need to be able to look at the board and determine what's happening based on the little mini narratives that play out visually, for the most part, among the pieces that are yours and your opponents. And your intention sort of matters, but your intention can be undermined at any moment by the reality on the board, which I think would be a useful lesson for a lot of people to learn, right? Um, which is like, you know, best laid plans of mice and men, right? You can play a great game, uh, and you're doing great, and then you hang a mate in one, and you lose, right? Um, and and that just means you move into a position where the other person can just checkmate you, and you lose immediately. It's another kind of design problem with chess relative to other modern games, right? You can th you can work for hours on a really intense tournament game, or days or weeks on a postal game, and throw it all away with one mistake. Hey, football! Um, football is life, coach. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, in soccer, it's even it's even harder to do that in soccer, right? I mean, I guess you can get sent off with a red card, but like. Ultimately, you know, you only score gores one goal at a time. You don't like win or lose the whole game in one in one go. Fair enough. Um, but at any rate, I think the reason the reason chess is having a moment is because chess streaming is having a moment, huh. and you can go on. Uh, and we're we're probably a little bit behind the times on this. I think it's fair to say that chess streaming might have peaked and be declining at this point, kind of less in fashion. But there are a couple of people who are notable on Twitch and also who stream embedded. And have kind of deals with the websites um, that have that are that are like somewhat. I might describe them as kind of fandom or scene celebrities, and I'm sure everybody has kind of their own favorites. But I would say that the two that are most notable for English speakers, in my mind, and you can correct me if you like, um, are Hikaru Nakamura and Alexandra Botez. 
who are players of like vastly different skills, <laughs> vastly different skills. Um, Alexandra Botez is quite good, but is not great. She is a, a women's a woman's master. Uh, and she is, uh, you know, a 25 year old woman who streams uh, playing chess and does other things on, on the Internet, too. And she's charismatic and, you know, good looking and conventionally and, uh, you know, is uh, what is, is does does a good show. Right. And people like to watch her and she's very popular. Uh, and so I think that she's one of the sort of figure you're looking at right now, somebody who is kind of reaching a new audience, somebody who is playing chess and even people who don't play chess might watch her. Uh, bringing kind of the notion that streaming brings an intimacy to chess play that uh, it, it you might not otherwise achieve through reading about it in the chess section of the newspaper, which used to be a thing that existed, right? Uh, that that these that these sort of new chess personalities are kind of exemplifying these things uh, and showing that they can work. And one of the big other uh, elements of this is the popularity of rapid and uh blitz and bullet chess which is chess games in 10 minutes five minutes or one minute with some variation in what those mean right um using very very quick time controls to get around the problem of oh by the way any of the computational devices you have in your house can probably play chess better than a master so like at this point your thermostat can probably play chess at like the international master level <laughs> uh, like the computational demands of being excellent at chess have become so trivial and the proliferation of, of excellent chess engines has become so broad. And the question of whether machines or people are better at chess is like so settled at this point, right? With, with um, AlphaZero, right? Which is the Google deep learning chess algorithm, which is amazing, right? And is, is playing, I mean, is playing the kind of chess that, you know, you would expect from the greatest human geniuses. Uh, it is phenomenal. And, um, and even beats all the sort of conventionally programmed chess engines right so so i guess you could say that the proliferation of chess engines has made games easier to, to at least pretend that you understand because you can uh and that's what they call them now the computers that play chess are now called engines and it's a way of i think making framing it such that the human play still has a role it's like well will you like you can run or you can drive with an engine the engine is faster than running right like uh it, it's sort of how it is but if you're playing these very fast games hmm. then it's not necessarily like feasible to like for somebody to have, you know, a game of an engine open on their tab and they're cheating. I mean, people do it. But if you had long games that everybody was playing, it would be so easy to cheat on the Internet um, that it would just be trivially, trivially easy to do it. And it's just inconvenient enough. And the stakes are just low enough that you can play online without really feeling like you're being cheated all the time. Um, so I would say that that a figure like Alexandra Botez, who is a, uh, you know, something of an online celebrity who is playing, choosing to play chess uh, is, is notable and unexpected. If you were predicting what was going to be happening in 2020, uh, this is probably not something that you would have predicted. In fact, it's probably the most surprising thing if you about 2020, right? Is like, what? Like if I'm predicting this from, from 1990, like people will still be playing chess and like young women will be playing it on the internet and it will be like super popular. Um, okay, fine. Uh, the other figure that I really want to throw uh, a, uh, a um, throw throw uh, some praise on because I don't think he gets it nearly enough, at least in the public sphere, is this guy Hikaru Nakamura, who, believe it or not, at one point was the second highest ranked chess player in the world and is from the United States. And it used to be back in my day that when that happened, it meant something right? like uh, if you had a situation where an American was playing for the world championship or something like that. 
um, then then you you it used to be a big deal. But of course, you know that was in 2015, uh, and and uh, and you know, at that point, you know the computers had been winning, and and chess didn't have its moment in 2015. It's kind of having its moment now, but. I really appreciate what a guy like Nakamura brings to the online experience of watching chess because he is truly excellent, right? Like beyond excellent at chess. Now, granted, we live in the in the era of the greatest chess player of all time, this guy named Magnus Carlsen, who is, you know, super genius, uh, brilliant chess player and also a sort of very down to earth, accessible, funny guy. He plays online under the nickname of Dr. Drunkenstein, right? Uh, and, and, and he doesn't really brag a ton about, um, about, he doesn't brag the way that old chess masters used to brag as much, but he does brag. He's showboats a little bit. He's, he's accessible. He's, he's, uh, he's a champion for our age, but you can go on YouTube right now and you can watch or Twitch right, probably right now as you're listening to this. And you can like watch Hikaru Nakamura, like play chess and talk about chess. And the notion that you could have done that when I was growing up and just like, just like, you know, gone, gone online. Well, first of all, you couldn't go online, but you know, picked up the phone and you would just get like direct discussion in English with Anatoly Karpov about what he thinks about chess. Like right now, now granted Nakamura isn't the second best player in the world right now. I mean, he is 32 years old at this point, the calculations necessary for being a truly excellent chess player require, um, you know, you to be pretty young and very committed. It's kind of like being a pro gamer. Um, you fall off a little bit as you get older. Um, and also he's doing a lot of other, he's, he's a better rapid and blitz player, um, and then, than necessarily a classical, uh, tournament player. But the point is that like, you know, if you could go and watch Fortnite on Twitch, right. And then you can tune into like Ninja playing Fortnite or whatever, whoever the kids watch playing Fortnite, you know, and that's, that's fine. Right. You could, you could watch, you could watch, uh, you could watch League of Legends and then you could tune in and watch Double Lift play League of Legends, right. You could watch a, an esports athlete, uh, you know, really, uh, really um, show you how it's done and talk to you about the game at the highest level. And something that also connects to our basketball podcast, uh, which is also true about today and basketball, is it does feel new to have people who are really, 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 really good, like top level good, top level great at things that are very thoroughly explored, right? Super competitive. You know, where the the skill ceiling is is really really high and and like observable right like it, I don't know about you but it does feel different to me to see an interview with like you know say say you're talking about John Finkel right long time acknowledged maybe not universally but at times best Magic the Gathering player of all time I don't think that anybody would say that watching an interview with John Finkel is the same thing as watching an interview with LeBron James. Right. Or and I would even venture to say that somebody like Hikaru Nakamura is kind of closer to LeBron James than he is to John Finkel uh, in terms of the level of mastery of the thing that he is doing. Right. And I think it is exciting and it is fun to access people who are doing a really good job. I mean, this is the Aaron Sorkin lesson of storytelling. Right. Which is like people. A lot of people love watching people do really well at their jobs and and enjoy it. Right. Like that's the whole concept behind sports night. It's most of the concept behind the West wing, I think <laughs> maybe not, but like it's a, it's, it's, it's part of that vibe. It's exciting. It's interesting. It's like, wow, I have such access. I have such like intimate personal access to somebody who is so good at this. And it's so fun to watch them or somebody who is better than I am. And, but good enough that, 
that it sort of makes sense when they do it. They make it look easy. They make it look cool and easy that they can do these things that maybe I could do it too. But also I feel like I could connect them on a personal level and they speak my language, which I think, you know, one of the things that people don't really talk about, which is the other side of the representation matters coin, right? Is like, you know, I mean, you talk about how when you watch the Olympics and you're in the United States, they will show you, they will go to great lengths to only show you the American athletes, even if it's a sport where the American athletes are not competitive at all uh, and where the real stories that are happening are happening with athletes from other countries. They will still drop everything that they are doing to show you the American athlete. I think you can kind of widen to because because there's the notion of like, oh, you root for the home team. You know, OK, representation matters for underrepresented minorities. This is all part of a complex of notions that like people are seeking out competitors to identify and connect with. And there are various sorts of obstacles of various degrees and, and kinds that prevent you from accessing uh, these kinds of people. And and uh, you might not even know that they exist because you might not even know these people exist because the barriers are there. Uh, and what I'm telling you is that the barriers at chess right now are as low as they've ever been to watching top flight play whenever you want. Talking personally with a true master of the game in a chat window whenever you want, right? Um, and, and also getting like top flight, high quality analysis and humor and funny things, right? Um, I guess I should also, I should also say uh, uh, there's, a, there's a guy out of Slovenia. I think he's out of Slovenia. He might be Croatian. Um, Agad Mator is what he goes by. His name's Antonio, who's been just hustling the YouTube game. Antonio Radic, uh, hustling the YouTube game for years and is one of the top uh, chess YouTubers. And uh, he's been doing it since before chess was having a moment. So I should throw his name in the mix as somebody that is a really good chess storyteller um, and that you should probably uh, check out if you want to watch some great chess stories and great chess history. Right. Um, but anyway, that is, does that get it across to you, Matt Mark? I guess I gobbled up a whole bunch of time <laughs> talking about it, but, but I mean, it's a fun, exciting time to be a fan of chess, but it's also a tough time to try to play chess because if you're watching a chess stream, you can't play chess while you're watching a chess stream because you have to pay attention to your game, right? Yeah. Like you can't multitask playing. You can play multitask playing Fortnite and listening to a book on tape. I would not suggest doing that with chess. Uh, maybe it's just me, but even the slightest diminution of my attention makes me terrible at the game, right? And I because you because the cost of making one mistake, just one misclick, is so huge uh, in 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 the given in a given game. You know, there's just not that iteration. Um, that you really have to like take a breath and and take a breath and take a break before you make your move, even in a five minute game, five minutes can be a long time. Take a second. Don't rush it. That's the other big piece of advice. The best way to hang your queen is to not look before you move it. Right. Stop. Pause. Pay attention. And uh, and Antonio Radic is from Croatia. Anyway, Mark, sorry, you're trying yes, to get so you, you've given me time to plot my move. Okay. Yeah, right. Okay. I've done all the calculations. I've, I've yeah. packed, packed every through. Um, I want to take this uh, in a uh, in, in a in a different direction from like kind of like mastering the game of chess, but kind of uh, lean in a little bit more on kind of like you know the the chess in its moment right now. Um, by way of uh, somebody you mentioned before, of course, Aaron Sorkin and, and the West Wing, because you guys might recall, right, the West Wing reunion recently. Um, for 2020, kind of the get out the vote uh, special thing that they did um, featured chess prominently in the episode that they recreated, huh. right? That was the Hartsfield Landing episode. I actually didn't watch West Wing back in the day, um, but presumably, you know, this episode aired originally in the 90s, um, but uh, for obvious reasons was brought back in 2020 because it was all very, you know, democracy and voting and election theme and that sort of thing. Um, 
And uh, the gist of it, I'm not going to spoil anything for, for this episode, is that the president is a super smart guy and he's also good at chess. And it's a metaphor for being able to see, plan a, a few, many steps ahead, see the entire board, you know, be strategic and outfox his various political international opponents. Um, so I'll find it good, right? You know, just uh, it's interesting historical coincidence. Um, but that brings me to this other weird way that chess is having its moment. Not like real chess, but oddly enough, like uh, this shaggy dog metaphorical notion of chess. Um, are you guys familiar with the phenomenon over the last four years of this regrettable Trump administration where as Trump just does crazy things and says incendiary things and sets the entire political world on fire, um, this thread of discourse, which is asking um, mostly seriously, but in some cases sarcastically, is Trump playing uh, X-dimensional chess, by which I mean like, you know, <laughs> three-dimensional chess. Yeah. And over the year of the, the tenure of his administration as an increase, I think it eventually got to 12-dimensional chess. <laughs> on, on the podcast that I was listening to, at least, um, I, I'm pretty sure that that was a thing, right? This notion that, um, you know, p- there was this quote unquote debate, and I don't know how serious it really was. Was that like, you know, is Trump an idiot just kind of you know mashing buttons and uh, you know just acting on the lizard brain of his and doing whatever comes to his mind, or is he playing some sort of long game such that he is like uh, a, a genius and owning the libs left and right because he is. Uh, um, you know, not just in, in conventional chess, you know, moving, um, you know, taking several steps ahead, but playing chess on multiple dimensions, as uh, we saw in what the, the original uh, series of Star Trek. Right. Um, you know, uh, I believe it was three dimensional chess there that it was like just playing some extremely advanced game at a, at a level, um, you know, a, a game really uh, get this implication of three dimensional chess is that you're playing actually a different game. At a totally di- and and at a totally different level than what your opponents are playing, um, so I will put that idea out there. Do you guys are you Pete? You you had a, a laugh of recognition there. Do you remember this line of discourse coming out that oh yeah. Trump is playing X four dimensional chess? I remembered it. Most that was the thing, com- right? Most it was most common back around the twenty sixteen election, at least when I encountered it. Um, and I think it's it's interesting. It's funny because multi dimensional chess really blows it's terrible <laughs> at least in my opinion chess is meant to be played on a board with 64 squares and playing and and ironically i think adding dimensions to chess doesn't make it a more interesting or particularly you know strategically nuanced game but it's right? nice for a television show where you want to telegraph an idea visually well yeah i mean it, it because well because on top of the notion that chess is a really old board game that has this elegance of composition such that newbies can know what's going on but can be totally outplayed by people who really know what's going on right these sort of different levels of knowing um i guess the notable thing about the chess metaphor is the notion that you could by looking at a chessboard think you know what's happening when you don't right and and again that's that's sort of a oversimplification but Oh, you know, this this player has more pieces or this. Oh, look how far that player's pawns are to the other side of the board. Right. You might not really know or at the very least, oh, this person's horsey is is sitting there. Right. Like that. And this is the, what had happened in most chess related movie scenes for so long, which was the chess board was set up arbitrarily, often without actual positions that could work in a game. But by looking at the pieces you know, there's this something is supposed to be evoked and people people don't notice that the board doesn't make sense. And so in this case, I guess 
On one hand, there's the idea that four-dimensional chess is more so chess chess four-dimensional chess is more sophisticated than two-dimensional chess, right? Or that the that we think we understand two-dimensional chess, right? I, th I think that those are the sort of that's the sort of hidden idea behind the suggestion that I think might even be more notable, right? Like. You you are in it to a degree, I think I'm not even going to say in a way, because, of course, that means that it's false. I think that when someone claims that somebody else is playing four dimensional chess, what they're really doing is avoiding saying that they don't understand what's happening. Right, because what you're saying is like, well, I understand what the surface level game is, but I don't know what the deeper game is and you don't either. And it's like, well. Do you really understand what the surface level game is, right? If you if you think if you know that your understanding is wrong, right? Uh, then then to what degree do we need to add more dimensions? Maybe you're just bad at chess, right? Like it doesn't have to be three or four dimensional chess. But I guess the suggestion is that what you I think one of the suggestions is oh they're operating on a different continuum than the one that you think is being uh, or a different axis rather than the one that you think is being contested. Well, right, but right? that's Which, what that's what happened in a lot of these claims, you know, it, the the kind of uh smart magazine think piece that that gets this particular rhetorical move of someone who's playing n dimensional chess is right like, no, I'm going to tell you what the real I'm going to tell you what the yeah. real game is. It's sort of like, you know, uh it, it's it's akin to the like the why is nobody talking about x? type of right. article you know which someone that, is always talking about it yeah, well that's, that's you're, you're, you're talking about it right now why in is this, the media not covering this they're covering you're just not reading it it's availability bias yeah. turn to the 10th page of the newspaper it's there right exactly <laughs> yeah start that right yes yeah, start that start that a section like right you know from yeah. the back to the front is, and you'll it is currently on the front page of the new york times and you're saying the media is covering it up because you don't look at the New York Times and you don't think anybody else does. Like, anyway, sorry, I'm interrupting. It is, you know, it's, I mean, speaking of availability bias, right? Like I do get, I get one, you know, physical newspaper a week. I get the Sunday New York Times. I actually get the, the Sunday LA Times as a, as a physical newspaper as well, but, but mostly out of charity. But the, the, I enjoy the Sunday New York Times on, on Sundays, but I don't read the news section because I find that I've read most of the articles in the app already just because of the way it, uh, you know, because of the way it plays out. I guess there are some like features, some long ones that are, you know, fun kind of kitchen table reading with, you know, a coffee and a, a coffee coffee and a sweet roll or something like that. But the, the, um, you know, the, the, uh, the claim in those three dimensional chess articles is like, no, 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 you don't see, you don't see what I see, right? Like you don't see what I, you know, Johnny or Janie op-ed writer <laughs> sees, uh, in in doing this and and there's generally a like oh the 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 political opposition is like is dealing with this dealing with this in in the wrong way and and i think that well i mean i think it happened with the the outgoing president because um i think it happened because a lot of what he did was so stupefying a lot of the time. And so you kind of needed a, uh, right. Like you needed a way to, to talk about the, what is so stupefying about it, uh, and, and kind of create narrative around it. And one way to create narrative is to say, well, maybe he's a magical wizard. 
you know, like maybe, <laughs> maybe he's, uh, maybe he's, uh, operating on a, on a level that people just, um, people just, just don't understand. You know, he never intended to sell them the, the aircraft carriers. That's the, 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 uh, no spoilers. Um, the, uh, right. And, and so it's, um, you know, it's never like, it's never like, uh, he's playing three dimensional chess. What is he doing? It's, it's impossible to figure out. It's, he's playing three dimensional chess. This is what the real game is, you stupid rubes, you know, and, <laughs> and you're all missing, you're all missing it. So it's a way of, you know, it's a way of calling people who think differently than you stupid, which, you I know, mean, I'm, fair, I'm all for right a lot of the time, right? Like, to be fair, it is often the case that people misjudge the relevant continuum of conflict in a given situation. Well, right? it, like, it also, well, yeah, I, actually, I think that's, I think that's great, right? Like it, there, there, there is a kind of, you know, there is a kind of, uh, Marla from the wire, uh, aspect of like, you want it to be one way, but it's the other way. And, in a lot of in a lot of life so much of life is like you you keep right like you keep operating you keep harping on this premise you know that that is false right, right. and and over and over and over and over your actions are based on this premise that is false and your your moral calculations are based on this premise that is false like you want it to be one way uh but it's the other way but then there is like there is a a, a related but distinct i think thing that happens in life that is a sort of misprision, right? Like you think you're playing X game, but you're playing Y game, you know? And just because like a, a, a good metaphor would be, oh, you think it's checkers, but it's chess, you know? Uh, or, you know, I don't know. You think it's this kind of poker, but, but it's this, it's this kind of poker or you don't realize you think you're playing pot limit Omaha, but really you're playing seven card stud. And it's like, oh man, there's a metaphor. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's the, that's the number of cards. What, that is like, is, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> and that's uh, it doesn't mean anything provocative. <laughs> yeah, and that's the like that. That is the thing, and like people, you know, I don't know, I. I the way and look we're 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 not here to to um give any sort of advice in this yet give any sort of advice in this realm but i i do you do sometimes hear people's financial plans <laughs> for their life and you think what are you thinking <laughs> what <laughs> you think like and and they're based on some either intuition or some like you know nugget of information that's like the, the you know the, just a complete misprision of what what exactly the game is and what the kind of the dynamics of the what the dynamics of the the force are but like it I, I, god there's a there's a lot of stuff that's that's really interesting here like pete i'm taking i'm, I'm taking with your your thing that like streaming that there that availability Right. And availability at a very high and sort of very engaging. Well, availability at a very high level on along one dimension and availability at a very engaging level where people who are sort of good television presenters are also kind of dealing with are, are also kind of doing chess instead of doing any number of other things that they could do celebrity news or, you know, any of the other things that television presenter sports, you know, stuff that that gets gets kind of commentated on 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 television like one of the things that i'm taken with with a lot of these these 
American anyway, chess movies is sort of how mid-century they are and how kind of middle brow they are, you know? And that's the, and the, 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 there's a class element, right? Like to it where that maybe, that maybe it's just completely blown up by the new, by the new normal where it's all, it's all, it's all people in flip flops and shorts streaming on, on Twitch, you know, uh, playing chess and talking, talking sort of very informally, you know, answering the, the chat box very informally on camera, right? Like that's, that is not the, um, you know, uh, that is not the like the narrow lapel skinny tie, um, sort of thing that you're that that the the kind of the high classness that that you're talking about though though actually one of the great things about about searching for bobby fisher is the scene where um uh bruce pandolfini takes uh josh's father takes the kid's father to an actual chess tournament <laughs> and it's all these you know uh poorly socialized unhygienic broken people mumbling to themselves with regret about a, a move they made you know cuz they just didn't see the thing and like it's like look is this what is this what you want right like is this is this the world that you want your uh um, that you want your son to, to enter. So there's a good, I mean, there's a good bit of like myth destroying there, sort of demythologizing, uh, that happens there. But I, you know, I, I think we could go deeper, um, in a number of directions on, on this, uh, you know, but, uh, I'm, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure. I feel like, uh, I feel like Mark, you should have a, a question to add. It should have a chance to ask questions about chess or not, uh, or, or, you know, challenge one of us to a game, which if it's me, you'll surely win. Oh, we could talk about other diversions. What is your, uh, you could <laughs> what is diver- your game of Kings, Mark? <laughs> um, is that horse racing or is that chess? <laughs> That's the sport of Kings is horse racing. Fo- fo- fox hunting. Okay, Fox. That's interesting. The sport of king, the sport of kings, the game of game of kings. What is the beverage of kings? Is it like mead or something? Well, I know what the king of beverages is. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, They'll tell us, Pete. What is it? Uh, they better pay us if they want me to. Say <laughs> no, <their name> absolutely, <laughs> absolutely not. We're not going to to refer to their crown logo or their uh, yeah. That's uh, you know, you gotta you gotta sponsor our channel. Is so we're we'll we'll stream it on, on live on on Twitch. Um, I mean, yeah, Mark, you've been playing. You talked recently to us about games that you've been playing, and I am curious. I've said a couple of things here about kind of attention. I said things about uh, pastime and kind of ex- what excites you. Give us the Mark check in on the games you've been playing because presumably it's not chess. Because uh, I feel no. like if you were playing chess, we would already be talking about it. It's not games. It's game singular. Really. Game singular? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm talking about my new obsession, which is Star Wars Squadrons. Ah. Um, those are not familiar with this. This is a space combat game set, not surprisingly, in the Star Wars universe. It's relatively new. I'd say it came out what, what, about six weeks ago or so. Um, but more importantly for context on this, this is um, literally 20 years in the making, right? Um, a lot of people fondly remember the X-Wing and TIE Fighter, X-Wing versus TIE Fighter and X-Wing Alliance space combat games from the late 90s and I think breaching into the early aughts. Um, and for a certain segment of the computer game population, including myself, um, um, they loved, loved, loved 
these types of games. It really just, you know, played out a childhood fantasy of being Luke Skywalker and flying in an X-Wing and, and blowing up the Empire and that sort of thing. And there were other franchises as well, too. I think the Wing Commander games, which I've talked about uh, multiple times uh, on this podcast, um, um, oh, what Free Space, Free Space 2 and uh, other things like that. And just recently, you know, these space combat games uh, made a bit of a, a comeback and everybody's like, hey, what about some Star Wars? Give us some Star Wars. Not the arcadey stuff that, you know, you play in, in the this Battlefront Battlefront 2, which is kind of, you know, a um, a, a much simpler version of, of this type of game. And lo and behold, much to everyone's surprise, uh, EA comes just like deliver the goods in a really big way with a sophisticated um uh, simulator-esque Star Wars space combat game. Um, so I was just going to pause there. Like, Pete, Matt, is this even on your radar at all? Like, well, aside yeah, from you've been talking about, about it for like a year. <laughs> <laughs> I have, yeah, for many, many, at least for many, many months. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, uh, uh, I, I've been playing a ton of the multiplayer on this, which is like a, a huge surprise for me. Um, my reference point for playing games online against strangers is that uh, I would expect to be very, very bad at it, um, especially as uh, a, <laughs> an older person, as someone <laughs> approaching 40 years old who does not have the twitch reflexes or the spare time, for that matter, of someone in their teens or their 20s. Um, you know, I, the the. Uh, the the stereotype right of the quote unquote you know gamer in his mom's basement is is woefully out of date and no longer accurate but there is it, it still exists in the piece of my mind like you know as I'm suiting up but just to give you a sense of the multiplayer gameplay for this right it's like a five on five you know empire versus um, uh, rebels or new republic in, in this particular context um, and it's a and this particular version I play is a straight up dogfight there is another more sophisticated uh, version of the game that I haven't really uh, cracked open yet. Um, but as I go into this five on five, I suspect like, you know, uh, the, the, the balance of the players on here have been able to spend more time on this. And I have what with me having a job and a child and adult responsibilities and things like that. Um, that might be the case, but I have been very pleasantly surprised to find out how good I am. Turns out you're awesome. Let me brag a little bit, right? You know, there's like, you know, on your team of five, I'm consistently number one or number two in terms of performance on it. And I'm, I'm winning more often than I'm losing in these types of matches. Um, so, uh, and so to connect us with the, with, with the chess conversation that we've had here. So where, where to start? Um, is it chess like, um, yes and no, I suppose, right? There is, this is a game that, um, uh, definitely, uh, requires a lot of practice and thought, uh, to get good as the kids say these days, G I T G U D uh, is the proper spelling for it. Um, this is not the sort of thing where you just plop in and just start pulling the trigger and just mash a bunch of buttons um, and expect to come out on top. Uh, you have to balance um, a variety of factors um, and we're managing your ship and its energy. And, you know, you can go faster, uh, but you have a trade off here in terms of your weapons and vice versa. Um, so there's that aspect of it. There's a, 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 a teamwork aspect of, well, being very aware of, where the other people are um, uh, uh, on on your team and where your opponents are, of course, right? Which, of course, maps pretty obviously to the chess piece uh, there. Um, what else? Uh, it's uh, it's obviously much more fast paced, right? You know, than um, uh, than what you would associate with chess. It does require intense concentration in the moment. There's no multitasking involved um, when you are you know, trying to juggle, you know, 20, 30 different factors and like literally, you know, try to like see behind 
uh, see behind you to uh, to anticipate what your what your opponents are doing. Um, so yeah, this is my this is my new pastime. This is where I live, uh, and and I feel good about being good. I was very surprised that I'm actually halfway more than halfway decent at this. Um, does this interest any of you? It absolutely. Or- <laughs> I mean, it absolutely does. And you're not, you know, you're you haven't even entered Mark. Once you hit forty, you you become part of a protected class, and they actually can't beat you at a video game without filling out a lot of <laughs> HR pa- paperwork for, before <laughs> before doing it. So you have that to look forward to. You know, it'll be uh, uh, and and all the kids will get off your lawn. Um, yeah, but that's you know, I mean that like the 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 thing that all these things have in common right like is the the mastery of a of a certain set of rules arcane you know arcane sets of rules it's it's interesting that the thing that i was taken taken with like uh, that i sort of mused on most of what you talked about was that space combat is a genre of video game right and that's not necessarily intuitive that that should be uh really? Yeah, that that should be the case, right? Like, why? And and I think the reason it is the case is that, um, I I think the reason that it is the case is that it it allows for like the kind of the physics allows for a unique set of constraints, right, in the rule set and the kind of the expected behavior of your you know of your avatar when you give certain inputs with the uh, with the control devices uh you know what i mean and that 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 like um that that would be common i mean I, i'm sure in in fine the specifics are are very different but like the idea that you're sort of you have you know three dimensions of freedom of mobility and like you know you're dealing with uh, you're dealing with opponents that are in, you know, arranged in kind of three dimensional space around you. And like that, that sort of notional, um, you know, that that notional set of constraints is what, uh, you know, is what sort of defines the, uh, is what sort of defines the genre. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I think it's not, well, as with all these things, all these things are contingent, right? Like they could be very, they could be, otherwise and like it's not uh you know it's not obvious to me that sort of space combat would be like natural you know as a as a genre um for for games and it, it just as it's not it's not obvious to me that you know trading card games with uh with uh you know cats with boobs or something like that would be like a thing <laughs> you know which is my understanding of magic the gathering that's what oh, you know the, I'll, I'll, I'll let pete come in and talk about magic the gathering in just a second how that is, <laughs> oh. is not accurate but like but just i'm, I'm surprised that, i'm surprised i am surprised <laughs> i am surprised that you find it it's surprising right you are familiar with the 1977 movie star wars and it's tremendous economic and cultural impact sure um, and, and and you uh surely matt you 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 even you cold-hearted uh man that you are uh, must have felt some sense of thrill and speed right and and at the sight of these x-wing fighters barreling down the trench and and shooting down the tie fighters and that sort of thing right like does that not obviously lend itself to a video game i can't think of a thing that 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 would do some more maybe stuff, i don't know I, like shooting the, stuff i just i you know i just this is this is probably trolling but i'll just point out that the scene that the scene that you mentioned right like the kind of the climactic scene of what we now call episode four it reduces <laughs> the amount reduces the kind of the surface of gameplay the arena of gameplay to a single di- dimension down right down the hole <laughs> you know down the trench right you're go- you're going in a straight line huh. uh oh. Down the trench and not really dealing with not really dealing with the third dimension. Though I suppose it's that actually is 
that's a darts game, you know, uh, because you're trying to, you're trying to get the, the garbage chute. You're trying to, to shoot your torpedoes down the garbage chute. So it would be like, I, what it would be akin to is like playing darts if you were sprinting at the board. <laughs> And okay. to- yeah, that's that's like just like the last action sequence. In the movie, sure, right. Like there's there are multiple space battles that that uh, uh, I guess ironically, um, yeah, and the ones culminate in in that very narrow. Just some of the things on the tube thing. It, yeah, it is. Well, I mean, it is it is sort of interesting, and it like it's a good kind of focusing and and sort of heightening move. But like a yeah. lot of the stuff in the Millennium Falcon, where like those those ch- you know the kind of the gun turrets that kind of move in three dimensions or have at least like they swivel and they go up and down, so you get you get command of three dimensions, even if you don't necessarily move in three dimensions that like, um, even if it's not like full hamster ball, you know, uh, that like that, that's, that that's you know that that's interesting to me but like i sorry we've been, we've been we've been pulled off the the point that i wanted to make which was that like they are i wonder really i what i wonder is is if the kind of the the it's an occasion to focus right like the, i i wonder if there isn't like a a sort of aspect of kind of quieting um you know kind of quieting a lot of chatter or like sort of uh, really kind of like Luke in the trench, you know, on the Death Star, right? Like disengaging the targeting computer. I wonder like if if these things aren't actually all, you know, a, a, a kind of meditation and like the the arcane um the arcane uh constraints, the um the time controls, whether there's like a, a sort of time lock on, you know, on the kinds of options. Like if, if a lot of these things are not really kind of at their core mechanisms for forcing you, you know, for uh, forcing your mind to kind of single track to like get, to get in that trench, you know, and go down and aim at that, uh, and aim at that garbage chute so that you're not, um, you know, so, uh, so that your, your, your world becomes very small, you know, mm-hmm. in, in those moments. And, and I think there's something about that that's, that's, uh, I think there's something about that that's really attractive. And, and like the fact that there, there is something about that, um, Oh, what's his name? Mihai Chick sent Mihai, the, the, uh, University of Chicago positive psychologist who, you know, who wrote the book Flow, where, you know, there is a, um, there is like a sweet spot on the two by two, uh, matrix of aptitude and, challenge right high aptitude high challenge you can enter a flow state where you're where you like really just engage with with the work and i think all of these things are kind of mechanisms for mechanisms for kind of entering um entering flow yeah yeah i I co-sign everything that you that you said there um, I, I most recently experienced the flow state, and I went on like a a, a multiple kill streak and was like pulling off amazing moves and just smoking my opponents with a with a, with 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 much great elan. That's perhaps a good word for it. Um, so I, I I was there for that, and maybe like to uh, so just to expand on that a little bit more, right? Um, uh, this flow state is so desirable, and the, the sort of uh, you know occasion to focus is so desirable, maybe for a couple of reasons. One. 
um, with the just uh, totally insane news cycle, right? As a, as a this is a way to really truly escape it. You know, this is not just doom scrolling. This is a perfect antidote to sitting in your bed, doom scrolling on your phone, and just like very passively receiving uh, more awful stuff. Um, so there's that, right? And then the other thing being that um, high aptitude, high re- uh, high aptitude, high challenge, right? Equals equal very high reward. Um, it is very difficult in life to find these sorts of things, right? Um, you know, even like you know, in in if you have a demanding professional job, um, it, it will not you know hit that 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 area of the quadrant uh, all the time. You know, especially you know when you are shuffling around and filing your TPS reports or just you know chasing after uh, you know some some you know aspect of the bureaucracy which uh, is, is 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 highly abstract. Um, so yeah, I co-sign everything you said there, Matt. And now I'm I'm, I'm kind of uh, head it in your direction unless Pete wants to talk about uh, uh, Magic the Gathering cards like you know um, you, you you do not s- seem to like you know engage in, in games like at least video games at least to, to get achieve the sort of flow state I, I'd imagine you get it through other ways um, so uh, how do you get into that question what um, the uh <laughs> <laughs> that was that, yeah. that was that was a cocaine joke. For I will time, note right? that Matt was not doing drugs. He was pretending to do drugs <laughs> in a theatrical manner, which is all the answer to your question you need. No, I'm too I'm too I'm too self-conscious to actually enter that. Like the re- the reason I've been, you know, in the course of my like I'm I'm probably not a very good actor. I don't know. I I've had my moments. <laughs> You know, why would you say that about yourself? Because I'm too self-conscious. You know, I, I've had my moments. I actually, like, I, I, I would say that I have some aptitude for it. And then I developed like a high skill level, uh, at it. But the, the people who, who do really disappear, I've never, I've never really been one of those people. I'm too conscious of the audience, which is why I've actually always been drawn to, um, like clowning or, you know, more self, even in kind of quote unquote traditional theater, like self-referential, you know, kind of, kind of work, because it's, it's always struck me as, as slightly absurd to pretend that the, you know, um, hundreds or if you're lucky, hundreds or thousands or whatever of people who are watching something like aren't there, you know, um, that, that just, that, that always strikes me as odd. No, uh, music, Mark, is the, is, absolutely the answer yeah, which is I, like i thought that would be it. yeah 100 percent my meditation like 100 percent like get getting and there are a couple ways it can go right like there are there uh, that's that's the thing that's the thing that is so wonderful about music right like because there's a skills acquisition component and so there's like you know if you've ever tried to play through the first section of hannon which is like 20 exercises long uh with like perfect evenness of tone it's like it's mentally taxing it's physically taxing like it's it you know and you have to like build up to it so there's like or if there's like uh you know just a hard passage of something that's just technically difficult um there is kind of a gratification to that but then there also is like just like tripping out to the sounds (laughs) you know like there there is a thing of uh, is probably like I, I learned it in jazz, uh, jazz theory in, um, in high school and a little bit in college. Well, I didn't take jazz theory in college, but I pursued it a little bit. Like just like listening to some of the dissonances, you know, is very, very cool. And like learning to, learning to like identify, you know, altered seventh chords in inversions, right? Is, um, that is just totally, 
just totally meditative because you have to, you know, you have to just kind of, you, you have to look at the reality of the board. You have to look at where the pieces are <laughs> on the 64 squares, right? Like there aren't that many in equal temper t- tuning. There are 12 pitch classes, you know, and there aren't that many pitch class sets. Uh, you can make out of like three or four, three or four note combinations, um, of them. And so there, there is like a finite, uh, it, it is a, a sort of finite set of information that is infinite for meditation. And that's, you know, I don't know. That's, that's sort of where, that's sort of where I get it. I never, for, for whatever reason, I never got, I, I never, uh, got, I never did get good. Um, at the, uh, at the, the, at video games very, very early on. Like I, and part of it was like, um, part, uh, part of it was that my brother was better than me. So I think I reacted badly against it. And, uh, you know, I just sort of went in, in other, went in other directions. And so I, I just don't have, it would take a lot to, um, it would take a lot of, of practice to like get to the point where, where I could have a, an, a, a skill set where I could have an aptitude that would allow for tackling the kind of challenges that would lead to the, you know, to the gratification that really good players or even, you know, moderately good players can, can get from those things. And honestly, that's like speaking of, you know, speaking of being 40, that is something that I've been been thinking about, right? Let me ask you this as, you know, as the timer ticks over an hour and we probably should wrap it up. How many things in your life from this point on do you expect you will ever tackle from zero and get to a, a moderate or high level of proficiency at? Lots. Really? I've got a new baby. I have to learn every stupid thing that they have to do. Right, like, <laughs> yeah, but you, I mean, I, you know, you you were a baby, like you did, you did grow up, right? Like, and it's there are there are specifics. I I I will get, I will, totally will grant you childbirth, but I'm I'm only counting that. No, no, not no child, I didn't do childbirth. No, 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 not, not childbirth. Born. I mean, ch- I mean, child rearing. I mean, the the point from which the child is born. Uh, sorry, no, no trivialization or slight intended but like i'll totally grant you child rearing but i'm only counting that as one pete that's not that's not accurate you get one it's not one thing it's like a whole bunch of things right like i expect to maybe try being like a kid's athletics coach maybe at some point right or like you know maybe like learning how to i mean i guess what i'm saying is like that there is an opportunity related to kind of starting over a little bit to, to do different things from a different level than you did before, I guess, because you're, you have to ask the question of, okay, your situation is now completely different. You can't do the things that you used to do the way you used to do them. What are you going to do with your time? So like the vacations that I would pick to do will probably be completely different. They'll be, they'll exist for one, which is not something that's been true for most of my adult life, but at some point there'll be vacations, right? Where will we go? What will we do? Like, what what will we pick up? Will there be hobbies that my kid likes that I'll get introduced to that I'll you know be bad at or or something that I'll try to learn? Um, so, I mean, I don't know. I guess I also I am also just the kind of guy who jumps from obsession to obsession with regards to hobbies, like a lot. Um, and I often because of that, I mean, you've talked about your own kind of bemoaning of how you haven't gotten good at things. I mean, I feel like the main reason I'm not really great at anything is I just change too much. I, I, 
I, my attention wavers and I go from one thing to the other and, and I, and I pick up a new thing and then that's the thing that I'm doing and, and it's fun. But, uh, but then you look back and you're like, okay, well, could I have gotten really great at it if I had kept at it? Right. Um, well, that's, that's there's, a, there's a value question in that, that actually you yeah. could argue both sides of, right? Which is yeah. like, is it better to have, you know, moderate experience with a hundred things or like extraordinarily deep life long experience with one thing? Um, yeah. you know, actually the, the, the latter, you know, career, the like the, the adulthood of Josh Waitzkin is actually kind of an interesting yeah, case study yeah, in yeah. this because he does all kinds of stuff now. Yeah. Um, but uh yeah like uh yeah so okay i mean i i guess i'll grant well, you well, i'll grant of, you that i think it's a I dumb wanna... question i think it's an important question i want to hear what mark has to say about it i've been turning this over in my head of trying to like cuz everything that i, I, I that I, I come to is like um in some way like you know pretty closely connected to uh something that i've already done that establishes a, a pretty good platform on even like foreign languages that I'm, that uh, that I could conceivably uh, get good at, um, I've already got a, a bit of a foundation for. Likewise, with musical instruments. I mean, parenting, right? You know, you're you're right. It is kind of a constantly new thing over and over and over and over again. But like, you know, you you you've you've taken the first you know crucial steps yeah. along this journey of being like, okay, now I'm responsible for this thing, and then you know that those skills. Um, well, I'm hoping that they build on each other, <laughs> you know, you know, to start from zero, you know, once, once, I don't know, once puberty hits or, you know, when the kids puberty hits something like that. Um, you, you, you know, you'll have to get back to me <laughs> on that. <laughs> Check back on me in a decade or so and see if I've <laughs> done something. Well, I think, I think you raise an interesting question, right? Which is what is, what is the necessary condition for you to feel like you're doing something new? And mm. what is being suggested here by you and by Matt, which I think I, I dismissed and I shouldn't dismiss so fast, is the notion that doing something that is similar, having done something that is similar to the thing that you are doing now, makes the thing that you are doing now not new. But what is it? You might is is that a characteristic of the thing that you're doing now, or is it a characteristic of the presence of that memory of that other thing that you were doing? Like, so for example, right? You you know I. Uh, I, I've I've done a bunch of CrossFit, right? So I did a, I, I met my wife doing CrossFit. I haven't really done CrossFit in a number of years. I, my body really couldn't handle doing CrossFit the way that I used to do it. It couldn't handle it then. I got a series of injuries. Um, if I were to endeavor on some sort of why is nobody why is nobody talking about these things that happen in CrossFit? Why is it? Why is nobody? Why, <laughs> I was why? about to get mad at you, and then I remembered like. Everyone's talking about it always. <laughs> well, I can also tell you it's less dangerous than pickup soccer. <laughs> like, um, but which is also, but I guess the lesson from that is pickup soccer is very dangerous. Um, you know, Clay Thompson just tore his Achilles tendon playing pickup basketball, which is more dangerous than CrossFit um, in terms of injuring yourself. But no, but it's like because I have the memory of doing CrossFit, I could do something that is really completely different, but would maybe not be considered as new because the brain is a pattern making machine. Right. And I would be seeking for other things that I had done in the past to compare it to. Right. And it's the idea of like, well, I have nothing to compare to this thing. It's totally new. Whereas if I were to go like whitewater rafting, it's like, Oh yeah, I did tough mutters. I did some tough mutters. So if I picked up whitewater rafting, that wouldn't be a new thing. It's just, I hiked and it's like, well, it would probably be different. <laughs> right. Like, like if you had started with the whitewater rafting, and uh, and then you you sort of 
uh, sort of gauge how good you are at it over time and what sort of skills you need to pick up and kind of what you learn and what you experience. And then you take somebody who's done a bunch of things that are sort of superficially similar or sort of analogous to metonymically associated with whitewater rafting that are not whitewater rafting. How proximate do they have to be to relevantly change that kind of progression of skills and that kind of acquisition of this of the practice, right? Uh, the practice of whitewater rafting. Namaste. Namaste on course. Uh, <laughs> you're going over the boat. Namaste uh, on this boat. Namaste on the boat. Um, but yeah, like if you were to get really into yoga and you've already done Pilates, well, if, if, if you've done bar because you did ballet and now you're doing bar be, because it's a bar class – Right. Like, is that new? Is that a new thing? Is it not a new thing? It's I think that it's interesting to consider that the experience of novelty shouldn't necessarily be strictly understood as as doing a new thing. Uh, that there are other characteristics of the experience of novelty than doing something new. Uh, and it's not like you run out of new things to do. You run out of the feeling of newness, which is different. Well, sure. I, I like, I, uh, I, the, I actually, the operational definition I would go with is like something that you legitimately suck at for a, a long time and then don't, and you know, and like through podcasting and then through repeated, <laughs> pre, repeated practice, you get moderately, moderately that was proficient. A dig at me. That wasn't a dig at us. No, it's, it's, I still don't feel like I'm good at podcasting. Not, We've been doing not, years. Look, I, I said there were some completists who like joined us at like the five year mark who went back and listened to the whole catalog. I maintained that and still maintain that that is a bad idea but (laughs) you know but uh but like writing actually is is a good good example like if you are if you are a sort of grace clear and graceful writer you know there was a time when you were not that like and everyone who's written a good sentence has written a bad sentence and everyone who's written a book has written a has written a chapter everyone who's written a chapter has written a paragraph everyone who's written a paragraph has written a sentence and everyone who's written a sentence that you want to read has written in a, a sentence that in a million years you would not want to read right like that that is like an and kind of like descending back to that um descending back to that sort of level at at something is not so you know i don't know is not uh i don't exercise for the reader and the for the listeners in the comments like uh it, do you pick up new things it would be for me like learning a like a non uh you know a non-roman alphabet you know or or something or a different a different language system or something like that where it would just be i my brain does not have a context <laughs> like my experience doesn't provide a you know uh uh any kind of guide rails or or heuristics that that can kind of um you know that can that can be relied on uh and uh you're sort of you know just just thrown back on the not knowing and that like that being thrown back on the not knowing and i i sort of i sort of asked it but i think it's like a hel- i i asked it uh sarcastically a little bit but i think it's a healthy state you know i think being thrown back on the not knowing um is a very you know positive um like mental you know mental place to be because what it does is it forces you to look at the board And it like forces you to take account of where the pieces are and it forces you uh, to ask, wait, what game is this anyway? And when you do that, grip the table firmly with both hands (laughs) and talk. 
across the board over. That is how you win or lose every game that you want to play. This has been the Overthinking Podcast. Thank you for listening, Mark and Pete. Thank you for podcasting with me. We will be back next week with more Overthinking It podcast. And also, uh, we'll uh, tell you a little bit about the uh, what we're doing this year for the Overthinking It gift guide, which will not be a gift guide. Uh, well, it will be a guide to giving gifts, but uh, not quite in the way that we've done before. So uh, stay tuned for that and be ready. Be ready. Hold yourself in readiness uh, because you will need to take action shortly after you hear the next Overthinking It podcast episode. That is next week, though. If you want us till then, you should visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It It probably doesn't doesn't deserve. deserve. Have we gotten better at that? Deserve.